not for the first time in recent Joags. Uh-huh. We're going to go back to the 18th century in France. But this time, rather than introducing you to a ravenous man with an insatiable appetite, I'm going yeah. to tell you about just such an animal. A creature uh. known as the Beast of Givaudin. Givaudin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Givaudin in the south of France was, to put it bluntly, a terrible place to live. A wilderness cut off from most of civilization. Life was hard. The climate and terrain were unyielding. As author J.M. Smith put it, it had the reputation for being a remote, isolated backwater where the forces of nature had not been fully tamed, where the forests were indeed enchanted. Which is one of, like, whenever you find a place like that, like Arizona or something, I don't understand why people stopped there. Just keep moving. Go live somewhere else. Yeah. But sure. for whatever reason, people I often think there. that in, in much the same way as I wonder why Japan builds nuclear power stations on fault lines. Why? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just feels like the there are decisions that can be made. Uh, and some of them are bad. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, 1760s, France wasn't doing so well on the whole either. A waning superpower who'd seen its empire shrink to almost nil in the wake of the Seven Years' War. The country was in disarray. But what it did have was a press that was on the rise, selling papes not just by reporting the news, but by being a source of entertainment. Especially yeah. since, yeah, since King Louis the Fifteenth censored a lot of the actual news yeah it was because of this press eager for subscriptions that the country learned of a mysterious waves wave of deaths in a region they otherwise wouldn't have given any thought to our story begins with the death of 14 year old jean boulet who was mauled by something while tending her sheep in 1764 something Something. <laughs> this was only the beginning of a reign of terror upon the Javudin, as more people, largely women and children, as well as a few solo men, were attacked and killed. And their deaths were brutal and gory. Their corpses found with their throats ripped open, and sometimes even with their heads completely severed from their bodies. Stop you there, werewolves. <laughs> Well, perhaps. Uh, Le werewolf. (laughs) Le werewolf. (laughs) At the time, a newspaper called Courier d'Avignon was running stories they called Fait divers. Basically, little chronicles of interesting happenings in small French villages. Smithsonian Magazine likens the Fait divers to modern-day true crime. And for editor Francois Morenas, the spate of horrific death was the perfect subject. And his interest in reporting on the case led to the story spreading far and wide, not just in France, but throughout Europe and in the U.S. as well. People everywhere were transfixed by the story of some unknown beast terrorizing the people of Gévaudin. Mm. Because of the story's reach, Gévaudin was able to attract the help of politicians and aristocrats, including, eventually, the king himself. The first attempt at finding and killing the beast was organized by Captain Jean-Baptiste Dumel and Etienne Lafont, who managed to amass a volunteer force of 30,000 people 
to aid them in their quest. It's just unimaginable. That's an army, <laughs> legitimately. 30,000 people for one werewolf. 30, That's a lot. Right. It's a lot. Um, Demel figured they could come at the situation military style, undertaking various strategic methods, including leaving poison bait around and having soldiers dress as pe peasant women in hopes it would draw the beast, which feels <laughs> nice. like a big misunderstanding nice. of why it was coming yeah, after yeah, women. Yeah. The old... The old Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. <laughs> Gambit. Like, yeah, like the, the beast understood the difference between female clothing and male clothing, and that was that mm. was why it was coming to attack women. Werewolves are smart. <laughs> Again, valid point. As, ta as time dragged on and they were still unable to catch it, a hefty reward was offered, equivalent of an average working man's yearly salary. The hunt for the beast became symbolic to a country that had just had its ass handed to it in war. They really needed this win. According to Smith, quote, there are many signs of wounded masculinity among the lead huntsmen. Duhamel had a highly sensitive regard for his own honor and had some bad experiences in the war and looked at this challenge of defeating the beast as a way to redeem himself. And tales of heroism in the face of this monstrous foe weren't limited to battle-worn men. Women and children alike became folk figures after surviving encounters with the beast. One such child was Jacques Portefeuille, who, along with several other children tending cattle in a meadow, became target for the beast. He organized the other kids to fend off the encroaching attacker with sticks, a feat of bravery that so moved King Louis, he paid them all a reward and funded the entirety of Jacques' education for leading the charge. Excellent. So just <clears throat> for my clarity, this beast has been seen. Seen, right. Yeah, that's the that's one of the important elements of this is that like it this isn't like, like oh, some people fucking are, cryptid. Yeah, people, people are finding corpses and they have no idea what did it. Like people are seeing this yeah. and I'll talk about what they saw. Um, but yes, oh. this is uh, it is Zut. not unknown to them entirely. So that same August, a woman named Marie-Jean Vallée was attacked, but managed to fight off the beast, earning her the nickname the Maiden of Givaudin, to whom there now stands a statue in the village of Auvers. Still, despite some brave souls being able to save their own throats from being detached from their necks, the hunt... You look like you have a question. Might I pause <laughs> you briefly? That village, Auvers, would you spell that for me? A-U-V-E-R-S. Fine, continue. I apologize. <laughs> Did you think maybe you'd been there before? No, there is a French town called Orvault, O-R-V-A-U-L-T. Gotcha. Uh, which <laughs> happens to be the twin French town of Tredegar. Oh, well, that's kind of neat. Mm -hmm. Or at I least like it was that. because Brexit, before Brexit. Well, that's true. I'm sure they've disowned mm. disowned Wales yeah. by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not Wales' fault. But anyway, <laughs> um, so despite, well, <laughs> despite some brave souls being able to save their own throats from being detached from their necks, the hunters and soldiers were coming up empty handed, which could in part be attributed to the fact that they were largely outsiders. And as I said before, Givaudan was not an easy landscape. Chances are they didn't even know where to look, nor were they prepared for the inhospitable environment that they faced. 
In February of 1765, a father-son wolf-hunting duo with over a thousand wolf kills to their names came to Gévaudan mm. certain that they could accomplish what the tens of thousands of others could not and eliminate the beast, which they assumed was a wolf. If you've ever seen Beauty and the Beast and wondered why the fuck there seemed to be wolves everywhere, it's because in 18th yeah. century France, there were wolves everywhere. <laughs> well, well, and well. Yeah, like, that's not like just like a weird story thing or whatever. That's like actively what it was like. <laughs> Indigenous wolves or? Yeah, I guess they're from there. I don't know that that's a thing like now, but yeah, wolves are indigenous to France and they're all over the fucking place. Which actually is Lupin an interesting is rabbit, isn't it? No, that's that's wolf, Fox. isn't it? Lupin, wolf, right? lupine, Lupin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, vulpine <laughs> is vulpine fox. is fox. Vulpine like, is fox. I believe. Yes, yes. <laughs> lupine, lupine is wolf-like. Le Lupin. Yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yes. So, uh, what was I going to say? Oh. Um, yeah, that was just an interesting thought, though, because I, I always find it weird when there's like, I don't, <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid. When land animals are on multiple land masses, I'm like, how do those get there? Because you know how it's like, yeah. if you go to Australia, New Zealand or whatever, it's like the only land animals are there were brought there on boats. Everything else is birds because nothing is native to an island. Um, yes. And so I'm like, wolves are, are here. Did people bring them here? Or is that like a Pangea situation? Like once upon a time, they could walk here across the land bridge. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> if anyone has an answer to that, feel free to tell me. I know it's a dumb question, Eileen. but Eileen. <laughs> Eileen. I don't know if that's quite Eileen's specialty, but, you know, it anyone is. who anyone who knows, everything <laughs> is Eileen's specialty. It is. Um, <laughs> well, God damn it, she would research it until it was her specialty. Right, precisely. Um, but anyway, while wol wolves aren't actually known for being particularly aggressive towards humans unprovoked, the sheer numbers meant that there were tons of attacks on humans over the years. I can't remember what the time frame was, but I think it was about, like, a century or two that there was about 9,000 wolf attacks on humans, which sounds Jesus. like the opposite of what I'm saying. Wolves don't normally attack humans, but there were 9,000 attacks. It's because usually that was rabid wolves. That's not I just see. your regular guy walking around. They don't really want anything to do yeah. with us. It was only the rabid yeah. ones that would kill people. Um, <clears throat> but nobody who'd been attacked in Jevoudan had contracted rabies so they could pretty confidently rule that out and as far as the locals and even Dumel and Lafont were concerned this was not a wolf it was described in various ways for example that it had a snout like a calf a panther like tail and long hair like a hyena red fur with a black stripe down the middle of its back it was said to be larger than a wolf described uh, as as long as a leopard the size of a calf or horse. Uh, Dumel wrote, you will undoubtedly think like I do that this is a monster hybrid, the father of which is a lion. What its mother was remains to be seen. Fuck, and... I cannot visualize this thing. I'm trying to put all of these bits together <laughs> right. and I'm getting fucking nothing. <laughs> and I think the thing about that is like, those aren't all from one person. So like, I'm sure some people saw things in passing, you know, saw something as maybe it, was it was attacking the them. Maybe it was the predator, <laughs> um, you know, with the red fur and black stripe down its back. 
Um, but yeah, so like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you and I saw something at different times and in different circumstances, we might describe it differently. And if you tried to put those yes. descriptions together, you'd be like, what the fuck is that? Um, and we know and that so, memory is wholly unreliable. Yeah, especially when you're in like a traumatic situation where you're Shitting like super yourself, stressed running away out. from yeah some red-headed tiger dog <laughs> right exactly that's long uh, and a cow also somehow <laughs> right <laughs> and, and you know thus some folks reported abilities bordering on supernatural saying that it stood cool. upright uh yep. that its skin was bulletproof that it had fire in its <laughs> eyes and even that it could come back from the dead and this thing sounds like honestly, a judas priest album cover <laughs> Really does. That's what this thing sounds like. (laughs) But honestly, all of those things I think can like be pretty easily explained. Maybe other than the fire eyes, that could be a reflection. But like, you know, you have like this thing that its skin seems bulletproof and that it could come back from the dead. It's probably something that is like very strong that bullets didn't necessarily take out, and maybe it looked like it was dead, but then it just hopped back up again. You know, Uh, how would it verbalize? Does it? I'm well, that's funny. It's like I didn't you. read. I was wondering about this because of like the and we'll talk about it, but the, like hyena theory, um, like yeah, yeah, you know, hyenas are pretty loud, <laughs> and I didn't see any report well, of like what these sounded like. Um, I've, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I, have I have I spoken to you specifically about sheep coughing? This sounds vaguely familiar, but go on. I, I mean, me and my buddies in school, we'd camp a lot. We'd chuck the fucking tents in our backpacks and we'd go to the travel mountains in Trediga and we'd camp and we'd, you know, drink cider and make fires and cause havoc. And when trying to go to sleep, obviously sheep would fucking roam the area. And a sheep coughing and a human coughing are the same oh, yeah. noise. <laughs> They're going, That's right. Ah! <laughs> yeah. That's horrifying. I really hate yeah. that. <laughs> But even, yeah, that you would report that about, like, sheep, right? Like, animals make sounds. For whatever reason, nothing that I read ever mentioned, oh, this made some form of noise. Um, okay, So, good. yeah, there's that. That's one uh, thing, at least. <laughs> it was quiet, which is really what you want in something <laughs> that sneaks up on people and rips throats out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways. The Danival, the father and son hunting duo, were unable to lock the beast down, perhaps lending credence to the idea that this was no ordinary wolf, but something strange and unknown. So, the king sent his own personal bodyguard, Francois Antoine, to Gévaudin to end it once and for all. And in September of 1765, Antoine proudly sent the body of a large wolf back to Versailles, collecting a reward from the king, accolades and appropriate and appreciation from the people of Gévaudan, and some massive bragging rights. And everybody lived happily ever after. Sorry, happily Bullshit. for two months. That, that was not the creature, was it? We got a Jaws situation here. Yeah, that was the wrong creature. It's, it's the wrong creature. Two months later, the attacks picked right back up again. Throatless and decapitated people all over the place some 35 of them and now that the king was satisfied that they totally solved the problem he was completely uninterested super fucking into this (laughs) This i think you need to be into a throat ripping beast 
<laughs> but it's what what is the beast? I'm just I'm oh, super right. super into this one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the uh king was not interested in uh aiding the people now. Well, they were still mm. out there in their forest hell hole like help, we're being eaten. Yep. So finally, the locals did what they probably should have done in the first place if it hadn't been for all the press coverage that drew all the people to the town and they took matters Oof. into their own hands. In in June of 1767, local noblemen, the Marquis d'Apchet, organized one more hunt, this time with locals who knew the terrain. And on June 19th, Jean Chastel felled a wolf with one bullet. When opened up for an autopsy, human remains were found inside. It seemed, at long last, the beast of Givaudin was slain. All told... Mm it had taken around 100 victims. The killings stopped, but theories abounded because on autopsy, it was apparently confirmed that this wolf had non-wolf attributes. So what the fuck was it? Theories ranged from the downright outlandish, like werewolf, or some prehistoric creature that somehow survived extinction, to yeah. the actually pretty plausible. For example, <clears throat> apparently rich folks in the 18th century uh, in France were super into keeping exotic animals. So it was posited that the creature might have been an escaped lion or hyena. At the yeah. time, your average French villager would have no real sense of what either of those things looked like. They might have seen yeah. a drawing of a lion, but if you've seen old drawings of lions, <laughs> they... Oh, <that's> like... <laughs> It took some liberties. Heraldic pictures of cats. Right. Cat? <laughs> exactly. The pictures were pretty stylized that people would have seen, so yeah. they wouldn't have recognized that if they saw it in real life. Um, Mind, I've I've seen hyenas uh, at zoos on TV and whatever, but if if a hyena were to just amble past me, I would still be like, "The fuck is that thing?" Yeah, those are bizarre animals. <laughs> They really are. <laughs> like their proportions are all wrong. Like they're yeah. and the sound they make is insane. They're a weird animal. So yeah, that's right. In twenty twenty three, do the noise. Having do the, seen everyone the, wants to hear you do the noise. I don't know how to do a hyena noise. Uh, yeah, have a go. I like I literally don't, if I had if I had before this YouTube a hyena noise, I would I would try that for you. <laughs> Off the top the, of my head. The fun is in I not knowing and seeing what you come up with. Like the noise that came to mind to do was like a dolphin. I was like, that's the wrong sound. <laughs> that's, that's not it. That's not wrong. how hyenas sound. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sorry. I can't, I can't provide a, an auditory uh, <laughs> bit for you. But um, so the descriptions did seem very similar to a hyena. While with their weird ass legs, a, hy- a hyena probably couldn't stand up like a human. They do kind of have that haunchy look that could perhaps look like they're standing up. Um, if you yep. again have no idea that their legs are just different lengths. Um, By no stretch would you call one cow-like of face, though. No, not so much. But they do have a stripy mohawk down their back, as was advertised. They do they fucking do? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, But so, too, do some juvenile lions, as it turns out. Uh, The range of about 50 square miles in which the beast roamed also matches up with the area generally covered by a lion. 
The beast was said mm. to stalk its prey and grab it by the throat, and its hunting times were evenings and mornings. Uh, and lions are also absolutely down to murder the shit out of humans, <laughs> unlike your typical yes, wolf are. or yeah. hyena, yeah. which will leave us alone. I'm some looking at th- some pictures of hyenas now, and it's a it's a it's a front runner, I'd say. Right? Yeah, it's like when you think of the physical description, very much yeah. does kind of sound like what people were talking about. Although I don't think they're as big as people are talking about here, so it's a toss up there. Um, but some people thought it was literally a human in a wolf suit. Well, others thought maybe a human had trained some sort of animal to murder for them. Uh, some thought it was wearing some form of armor. Like it was like an army dog, <laughs> an army something. Like a war hyena. That had, yeah, war hyena, uh, which would explain why it could take gunshots and just walk them off. Which is weirdly the next album from Judas Priest. <laughs> It all keeps coming back. Um, But most scholars point to France's huge wolf problem and assume the most likely culprit is the danger that was ever present. The wolves. That said, though, because we don't have any photos or DNA or apparently even drawings, all we have are the words of some traumatized primary evidence. Well, we have words. We have primary sources in that sense. Like the words that Uh, people use to describe this are passed down. Just no, nothing visual at all. Yeah. And and like we said, like these are deeply traumatized folks, you know, experiencing something super scary and then trying to describe it. Uh, And of course, it's two and a half centuries ago. So these Mm. other theories, barring some of the crazier ones, are still plausible. And historians do acknowledge that. It's like, they're not like, it's absolutely a wolf. It's got to be a wolf. That's definitely a wolf. It's like, we think that's the most likely thing. But like, yeah, sure, it could be somebody's pet lion that got out. Like, we have no idea. So we simply... Which is what science does, which is why science is great. Exactly. But we will simply never know the true identity of the beast of Javona. Oh, God, that was satisfying. <laughs> You're the only person who is satisfied by a non-ending to something. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I can tell you this story and you're going to love it. Oh, cold fucking case. It, yes. <laughs> every every now and again, you'll tell a story of like a haunted lake, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. you know, like uh, uh, some other haunted lake and you won't <laughs> you won't wrap it up neatly. Oh, mm-hmm. or, or you will wrap it up neatly, and I'll be like, oh, okay. But this one, <laughs> there was some fucking mad-ass beast in France 400-odd years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it, it wreaked havoc, and we can guess, but we don't know what it was. Because, right. you see, if we don't know what it was, we don't know if it'll come back. Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise-en-scene. Anyone has ever said me on set in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's cold so... outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. What a, what an auspicious and fortuitous night on which we find ourselves recording this week's Jack of All Graves, Corrigan, and my dear, dear friends, listeners. What a, what a portentous, what a heavily loaded night 
mm. of significance and otherworldliness and strangeness Ooh. as the veil thins, yeah? The veil betwixt worlds thins. That world that separates us just through a gossamer thin silken layer of substance between the living and the dead. Jesus Christ. Yeah? Okay. For it is the weekend before Halloween, yes? Ooh, what? Yes, yes, a yes. beautiful time. Yes, <laughs> tis the weekend where shops are running out of wigs. It's the weekend where, you know... <laughs> the horror. Grease, grease paint and costumes are becoming thin on the shelves. But it's also the time of the year where you just never know. You might get some fucked up French fucking hyena, cow, fucking tiger, werewolf hybrid. Scritching, scritching at your door. Don't answer the door because it might be Le Beast (laughs) from the France of the past. Um... Look, I really quite liked, and nobody at home could see it, but you were, you know, acting out the scratching. I was doing the scratching. I was embodying it rhythmically, but it was nice. It was kind of a nice, if you like visual ASMR. I was like, ooh, it's kind of tingly to watch. Yeah. It's really enjoyable. Corrigan, lest ye forget, I am a dramatist. <laughs> right? You are definitely dramatic. Let's, you know, let's keep that up front and center when mm. you're recording with me and when you're listening you're to trained. me. You're trained. I yeah. embody the shit I say. You do. I, even if I weren't trained, though, I'd be doing this shit anyway. I, I, I communicate not just verbally, but physically. Yes. Everyone is missing I, out on a lot of your communication by listening to this podcast. It's true. Let me tell you something. I've got a concept. I was about this. Ooh, talking about okay. performance art a couple of weeks ago. Talking about a couple of art performance, uh, performance art a few weeks back. I think there's an episode in our future building up where we say nothing. (laughs) No, no. Uh Think on it. We communicate through signals and maybe we hold up bits of paper to one another uh, Mm. and physical expressions and that bit where the balloons come up around me. Um, (laughs) But we say, but we say nothing. Nespa un podcast. That's <laughs> next you know? level right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think on. Yeah, all of you other fuckers, all of you other millions of podcasts. None of you are planning fucking extreme performance art podcasts where you don't say anything for an hour and a half. Ah, <laughs> oh, we gotta do this, please. Oh my god. <laughs> It's elevating the format, right? Mm, is that what Questioning the format. It is yeah. scrutinizing the format, stripping it down to its very fucking fundamental, you know, atoms. And seeing, do you really need sound for a podcast? Do you? You think you do. <laughs> but what if you didn't? What happens then? Interesting. Yeah. What do you, what do you so, interpret? Without it, yes, the yeah. What's the podcast about? It's, a, it's about what you want it to be. It's like when mm. the Spice Girls sang, "I really, 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 really want to zig a zig ah." What did that mean? It was entirely That's down to the really listener. <laughs> so I'm not saying next week. I'm not saying the week after. I'm not saying it'll ever happen. But 
I think. In fact, you might say it'll never happen. (laughs) 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 Coronavirus. Um, I would love to explore the concept of a podcast without sound. Yeah. Fucking stick that in your fucking bowl of fucking, you know, a plum suspended in perfume in a men's hat. You'll go, oh, no. That's the kind of shit that we need to be doing. Oh, man, this podcast is uh, getting more avant-garde than I had really given it credit for. But yeah, but I think it's time. I think I think, I think now that we've we've built up enough goodwill amongst our millions and millions of Joag fans. Sure. I think we've earned, after three years of fucking grinding <laughs> this out, right? I think we've earned, I think we've earned the trust to go a little bit, you know, I think we've earned the right to try some shit. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll think on that. We'll see where it goes. You say we'll think on that, but your tone (laughs) implies you, you've already done all the thinking on that you're going to (laughs) do. Listen, (laughs) I, I honor your ideas and I take them in the spirit they are intended and I do not simply dismiss them outright so we shall think on it okay well look which is a roundabout way of saying welcome friends to another episode of jack of all graves we're delighted that you've chosen to join us uh after a fallow week hmm yeah yes after a fallow week due to my third go round with my good friend the novel coronavirus and (sighs) this one this one was a motherfucker i don't mind telling you do you think this was um, your worst COVID? Was this worse than the first one? Uh, 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 well, the first one caused me not only to miss a family holiday, but to miss seeing, you know, the sure, the yeah. mighty ghost, right? The timing was poor on that first The timing one. was dog rough. Um, I, but I, I can honestly say this time I would have done the same. I would have missed all social commitments the same. Uh, yes. If anyone gives a shit, the symptoms of this particular go round. Uh, and one of them I experienced for the first time, and it was so strange. <laughs> the heavy limbs, yes. The persistent headache, yes. The hacking cough, yes. The sneezing, yes. The headache, yes. But no sense of smell. Oh, I hate that so much. No sense of smell. I'm a coffee fiend. I fucking love a coffee. And I realized one goddamn morning, have I put any coffee in this or is this just smelling it? Oh, I see. <laughs> I could smell so nothing. That's like, oh man, I oh man, I don't like that. Nothing, and you know, it then occurred to me that my <clears throat> eyes aren't worth shit. I have the shittest <laughs> eyes around, right? Shit eyes, no sense of smell. During this bout with the novel coronavirus, I was down essentially to about like three and a quarter senses. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not good. great. You would. You would be useless in an apocalypse in that situation. Well, wrong, because I would be great. I I know, I'll I'll say this again, I'll say this to the listeners, seek me out uh, if if it all goes to shit. For whatever reason, be it climate or, you know, the undead or whatever, if there is an apocalyptic situation, seek me out because I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. Lose your fucking glasses. (laughs) As long as I've got an ample supply of contact lenses and <laughs> spectacles and like some nice shoes and new clothes. Right. 
I love that the easiest way to get you riled up, and this is not the first time this has happened in the past 24 hours, is to simply say that you would be bested by a circumstance. <laughs> Yesterday, I no. said that you would be no, bested no, no, no. by a giant squid and deeply wounded no. you. Absolutely not. <laughs> Look. Oh, man, have I got to go through this again? I've got, I've got, I'm not, I'm not saying that I could defeat all animals, right? I'm not. Am I? Uh, no, I'm not. There are animals that could best me. For example, if there's a bear on my case, for fucking get it. I'm, I'm done. Um, okay. Shark, I'm done. Forget it. Most <clears throat> land animals, though. Well, wasn't I gotta it? Tell uh, you, I'm, what was it when we had Eileen on talking about the subject of people and animals and whatnot? Um, yeah. That was it. Tigers that like no one, no one survives. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's there's right. something yeah, like that. That's that one like, of them. You just simply, you just simply die. Yeah, you just simply die. But what brought this to mind was, uh, fucking hell, the TikTok algorithm. I don't know what it thinks I am. I don't know <laughs> what profile of me it's built, but it is showing me the, the. It's it's actually showing me stuff that I wasn't expected to enjoy, but I'm really enjoying. So it's doing something it's right. Kind of scary. And for some it reason, knows you better than you know yourself. Yeah, no one knows me better than I know myself. I tell you, I know. I know. I know. Look at this. Once again, (laughs) one mild (laughs) challenge issued. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be my Um, new hobby, just like riling you up with a a simple phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Just just a small realistic, you know, acetate. <laughs> assault on on basic skills, but no, TikTok has been showing me a lot of Komodo dragons of late, right? Mm. Yeah, you've seen a Komodo dragon, yes? Of course, I watch a lot of nature shows. Fucking units of boys, yeah. right? Dinosaur-y. Absolutely huge. Yeah, dinosaur, mm. prehistoric. They thick. look like a Harryhausen yeah. fucking dinosaur. Yeah, right. thick boys, thick boys, <laughs> flapping their little tongue out. Very, um, very, gr- very kind of gloopy, salivary kind of <laughs> kind of mouths. Um, yep. And deeply venomous, but not through conditional, yes. uh, not through traditional kind of means of venom. They infect you to death. They bite you. Yeah. And they're so fucking nasty that the bite it will just go into sepsis and you're fucked. Right. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Oh right. boy. Okay. Yeah. How are they you going to take down a, a Komodo very, dragon? They have they have a very stupid walk. Have you noticed okay. this? Sure. Yeah. They walk kind like a, they yeah, waddle the, with their fucking stupid yeah. splayed out walk. Big I don't find them again. particularly. I don't think they're particularly fast. I think they are kind of fast. Well, 20, 20 miles per hour. I think they top out at. Okay. What do you top out at? No. <laughs> that's not the point don't challenge Isn't me it? Uh, don't challenge what do you top out what do you top out conversation that's me what about you what do you top out that i don't think that i could survive a komodo dragon <laughs> well i i believe i could and you see the thing the thing that i would do while they're busy doing their stupid waddly fucking drama walk sure i would approach them from behind okay uh, avoid their fucking skanky poison mouth. 
Okay. Put him in a headlock. Right? Sleeper hold. Sure. Uh, maybe like do one of those crocodile death rolls. So you got them on their back. And just <laughs> choke them out. Choke them out. Okay. Just keep applying pressure. What you're talking about is an unprovoked assault on a Komodo dragon. <laughs> like the, uh, the Komodo dragon hasn't attacked you. You're coming up and you're attacking... A Komodo dragon cheap, living its life. shooting a Komodo dragon. Yeah, right. You just sucker yeah. punching a Komodo dragon. But even if, even if, all right, it's it's Mano a Komodo, right? It's mm-hmm. completely, you know, it's He's planned. looking you in We've your maybe... fucking terrible eye holes and he's like, I'm about to venom you. What do you do? Let's say we've got a, a we've got a large ring of people baying. Maybe like there's a guy taking a book, passing money around, doing that thing sure. with his hands. Two for four, two one odds, two one odds, and taking a book on who gets it. And it starts, and we circle one another, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're two getting the measure of one another, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's looking into my soul, and I'm looking into his, and he's and he's flicking his tongue out. He's tasting the air. He's seeing if he can taste my fear. And that's when fucking boom, I strike. I run around the back of him. And then I I run I run like fuck around the back of him. I dive on his back. I get him in the in the headlock. I get him in the sleeper hold. Crocodile roll. He's on his back. I apply pressure. He's dead. I adore you, Mark Lewis. Ah. You know, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not being hubristic about this. There are animals I could take and there are animals I could not. Mm -hmm. The Komodo dragon, I would also, the Komodo dragon's on the upper limit of animals that I could take. Yeah, you're really pushing it on that one. I mean, those guys are, they're meaty. I'm just wondering, like, trying to choke out a Komodo dragon. I don't even know, like, how far in their little Komodo tracheas are or whatever. Like, what's the, where's that windpipe at? Well, I'd I'd look in. You have to apply to crush that thing. I'd look into this ahead of the time. I'd I'd study him. I'd watch the tapes. I'd watch tapes of Komodo dragons. Mm. Uh, I'd work on my kind of lower arm strength. Because that's mm-hmm. where it would be at. And uh, Popeye, the Sailor Man arms. Exactly. Uh, I'm strong to the finish because I eat my spinach. Precisely. And I would emerge the victor. And then I would have him skinned. I, I would feed from him because the hunter's code, you don't kill what you don't intend to eat. Fair. And I would make a suit of his skin. Uh, yeah. It's a lot. How you like that? Okay. It's how you like you know what? that. Well. <laughs> Let us know, dear listeners. Do you think that this is a good plan? Will Mark best the Komodo dragon? Let us know on the on the socials. Jack of all graves. You on the never have my Instagram back. And the Facebook. Jesus, if you could just have my back Did once. I, I simply asked the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Completely neutral on the outcome of this particular uh, matchup. Would it? Would it kill you to say yes, Mark? I think you could take a Komodo dragon. Say that now, Mark. Listen, we have we have a friendship based on mutual trust and respect, and because of my respect for you, I I simply cannot lie to you and tell you, you that I think that you could best even, a Komodo you dragon. You can't even give me that, can simply. you? 
I simply can't. I'm sorry. But I would cheer for you. If if I were oh, that, in okay. that outer circle, I would definitely be on your side. I'd be rooting for you. That's good. Not the Komodo dragon. That's good. So That's let good. that let that be enough. Um, the big so, worry the big worry would be then is that uh, mm. after having bested the Komodo dragon, I'd be given a like to rest okay. and fed grapes by maidens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the grapes, the finest wines, and the fan, uh, the silken beds, and the kind of the wafting. And then the next day, they'd put me up against an animal that I just could not fuck with. Then, then it would be a bear, wouldn't it? Yeah, or the bear. I feel. See, yeah. you know, I feel like. Depending on the bear. Well, Paddington. I could kick his ass. Like a, a nice Paddington, you know? Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Lewis. Whoosh, bang! You might get lucky. Mm. Yes. Anyways. Uh, so welcome oh, to yeah, Jack of All Graves. On, Mark had COVID yep, yep. Uh, and wants to fight a Komodo dragon. And we... I'm going to post this in the morning. So uh, on Sunday morning, I should say. And thus, if you're listening to this, that means this mm. afternoon slash evening, we have a watch along uh, where we oh. will be watching <laughs> Death Becomes Her. What what made you choose this? I mean, great movie, but what made you choose Death Becomes Her? Uh, am I right in thinking it's a Robert Zemeckis joint? Is that correct? I'm not sure. Let me just bring that up. <laughs> can find out. Uh, I, you know, the other day realized that our watch along was getting close and just insisted Mark pick a movie, um, and this is what uh, he came up with. Uh, and so while you're determining who directed Death Becomes Her, we figured it'd be a fun day. You can watch along with us and then have a quick snack or, you know, a nice dinner break or whatever, and then join Dead and Lovely for their ice cream sundae. So just like a, a pre-Halloween day it. of films. Is indeed a Robert Zemeckis movie. Did you oh, know that? Oh, there you go. I did not realize that. Mm. I mean, I'm sure Why that last it? time I watched it, I saw it at the beginning in the credits, but I did not remember that. Mm. I chose Death Becomes Her because it's a movie I haven't seen in Lord only knows how long. Um, nice. But I seem, it, it it left me with vibes of just real fun darkness. Yeah. In totally. that kind of, t- in that kind of Burton-esque kind of vein. Um, yeah. It you know, deals with those fucking themes of the downsides of immortality that everybody wants right. to live forever. Not after watching this fucking but film, do the you? fuck you yeah. don't. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, it's spooky season. You've got some fun gore in there. You've got some really fun practical uh, effects, yeah. some fun CG effects. you got Bruce Willis before he became uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, yeah, I do love an early Bruce got, Willis. I do love an early Bruce Willis. It's, look... Uh, dementia or not his his career just seemed to become cynical mm-hmm. yeah. kind of just yeah just churning out stuff being the you know same guy same guy whether he's paying alimony or whether he's fucking you know funding medical bills or what and i think it was yep. maybe after pulp fiction that everything he did wow. seemed to lose that long ago I, th- I think it was, unless somebody wants to correct me. I mean, what bangers has he done after Pulp Fiction? Well, that's a good... I mean, there's diehards that I like that are post-Pulp Fiction, but obviously he's just doing Die Hard. Um, yeah. It's only, it's yeah, only that, oh, Red. one that's Red after Pulp Fiction. Oh, Red. Red is great. Yeah, Red, Red was... He's bad. not... He, he's, that's hardly a Bruce I mean, Willis he's film, still, though, is it? It's a Carl Urban film. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, well, there you go. Yes. Um. Yeah, that's a very good point. I feel like even like he's in stuff like Red that I really like, but it's he's just being John McClane. So yes. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I can't off the top of my head point to something post Pulp Fiction where he is not simply playing basically the same yeah. role. Yeah. He did nothing with the career <laughs> renaissance that Quentin offered him. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, Death Becomes Her is that. a lot of fun. So come and watch it with We're us. We're going back to a simpler time when Bruce was Bruce, when Glenn Close was Glenn Close, Goldie Horn was Goldie Horn, and frankly, I don't give a fuck how old she is. Is it? Goldie Horn Glenn... is beautiful. Is it Glenn Close? Meryl Streep. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm is it Meryl sure Streep or Glenn Close? I think it's Meryl. I get those two mixed up. Yeah, one someone them... else did the same thing last week, and so thus it threw me off that you just said Glenn Close too. So I'm like, it's Meryl though, right? <laughs> Meryl Streep, yeah. Meryl Streep, and feel free to look this up using my Facebook, Meryl Streep is a dead fucking ringer for my wife about 20 years ago. Really? I should Wait. So Meryl Streep looks like... Your wife 20 years ago, or your wife looks like Meryl Streep 20 years ago. Yeah, I got that wrong. Young Meryl Streep looks like (laughs) my wife. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Good to know. And Yes. uh, Anyway, that is this Sunday. And thanks to the arcane practice that we still indulge in in the UK of fucking around with our clocks twice a year. uh, That is at nine o'clock UK time. Five o'clock. Five o'clock Eastern time. Yes. Uh, we've had a bunch Two of new listeners lately. Pacific. We love mm. each of you. If you're new, if you haven't been around before, if you want to make friends, enjoy friends, spend time with friends, watching movies with friends, drinking tins with friends, type in fucking funny shit about a movie with friends. I can't think of a better way of doing all of those things at once. Here, here. And like so I said, joy. great way to pregame ho- Halloween. Just hang out, oh, yeah. watch spooky yeah. movie. Then watch another yeah. spooky movie with Den Lovely. It's just going to be like a great day. I'm. Super what are they watching it. again? Uh, usually Steve doesn't announce it until the day of, so we'll find out. Oh, but hopefully that. something love perfect that. for the season as well. Really looking forward to uh, it. Big up Hollywood Steve. Big up Anna and big up the Dead and Lovely crew. Indeed. You forgot Ben, but yes, absolutely. Ben also. <laughs> ben also. Good old Uncle Ben. But um, we also have new stuff up on the Ko-Fi. There's a new Joag radio for this week in the archive. We have that up. We have the Spider-Man Let's Play that we did earlier in the week. And then coming up this week uh, on Monday, we'll have our House of Usher snack for the month in which mm. we're going to rave about that television show and deep dive into it. It will, yeah. of course, start with no spoilers so that you'll be able to listen to that and enjoy yeah. it. And then we'll dive in and talk about everything. It's going to be a lot of fun as well. Am I allowed to just chat about Spider-Man a little bit? Briefly. Super briefly. Two <clears> words. <throat> Peak Gaming. Hmm. Right? I have never in all my days seen a game that looks this good. Um, it does look amazing. Something I took great pleasure in was playing Spidey while Cory shared my screen over there in Montclair, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, and I enjoyed Cory kind of 
telling me about the little bits of of New York that I was mm. in, and and you know yeah. she'd been there and she'd seen that, and it was it was a real thrill. Uh, I'm of the opinion. I'm going to try this one day. I think you can take a screen grab of a high kind of view of the New York from that game, chuck a filter on it and convince someone it's a photo. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. I think that's mm. 100% true. It's it's truly but, incredible to, to look at. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, obviously, there's some things you're like, yeah, it's a video game or whatever, but there are some views in it, the water, things mm. like that, that like you could tell me that was an actual video. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And it. It, it isn't just the visuals. <clears throat> the story beats are beautiful. If you're in any way a fan of Spider-Man in any way, shape or form, you will fucking play the fuck out of this game. So please do. It's amazing. Yeah, it was a delight you, to watch along with. Yes. And mm. like I said, you can see it if you want to see what it looks like. Go on our Ko-Fi and you can check that out. KO-FI.com slash Jack of All Graves and just watch. Although, actually, the entire time on that, we are playing one section uh, that badly, was really very badly. difficult for you to beat. And at one point, we got stuck in a glitch for like 10 minutes and kept on trying to beat it. When it turned out, we it simply could not be beaten because it was yeah. a glitch. Yeah. Anyways, shall we, shall we talk about what we watched? Uh, yes, we can certainly talk about what we watched. Yes, and I we'll try to more. Um, try to scan through, not take a huge amount of time because again, it's spooky season. We've been watching tons of stuff, so you know we'll try to keep it efficient. I'm gonna start really quick with a. Uh, it's non really Joag adjacent, but it it has meaning for me. A movie called The Road okay. Dog, uh, mm-hmm. which is if I were a hack, which I'm not, <laughs> I would uh-huh. say it's. What if the wrestler, you know, Aronofsky's wrestler with Mickey Rourke, what if that was about stand-up comedy? That's what The Road Dog is. Huh. Interesting. Um, Doug Doug Stanhope plays an alcoholic on the fucking last stretch of his career. Uh, stand-up who, uh, by chance, one night after a, after a gig meets his son, who he's literally never seen since he was a kid. His son is uh, wanting to get into comedy and the two of them go on a road trip and they pick up gigs and and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Now, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a very, very, very big supporter of Doug Stanhope, right? He isn't the greatest of people. He doesn't keep the greatest uh, of company. Oh, dear. Um, but <clears throat> God damn, some of his specials just fucking go right for the jugular and right for the heart, Right. Oh, okay. I find him yeah. a fucking funny as fuck comedian. I find him brilliant. His down at heel, his kind of his 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 suffering health, his self confessed alcoholism, all part of the act. And you just buy into him as a stand up in his own right. I I I I I will love Stanhope to my dying day. And every single one of those one and a half stars I gave that film are for him. <laughs> e yikes. Because the rest of it is fucking dog egg, right? It, it's a TV movie. The soundtrack mm-hmm. is dreadful. The dialogue is all is it's just it's just the dialogue. Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> but it it has a uh, it has a nice bittersweet ending, and Stanhope is great. But the rest of the film, frac- frankly, is is dick. So one and a half stars for the road dog, and that's that out the way. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to say that's a do not recommend. No. <laughs> no. Now, I know <coughs> the other thing that you watched without me this week. Um, yeah. You, I, I'm not letting you go off on this again. Oh, you're not letting me, are you? No. Is that how it is now? We've been through it enough. To, we had like a whole episode where is you and Al now? got to talk about how much you love Hereditary. You're not letting the, we, me talk This is, about you have to, you have you're to. You're censoring me. You have to rein it in. You of Gotta all rein people it in. are censoring <laughs> me, am, Mark am, fucking li- Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! I am I am your Komodo dragon now. Face me. I'll f- then tops off, mate. I'll fucking put you in the fucking chokehold. <laughs> All right, I'll Go crazy on. it. I'll give you the fucking the the short version of Hereditary. Right, this is to be the fourth time I've seen it, if not fifth. Uh, it still has the power to mesmerize, disgust, and amaze. But uh, uh, something clicked this time, right? Something really, really okay. clicked this time with Hereditary. And and it's why it sits so comfortably next to Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and The Omen and up to a point, Texas, right? Okay. Hereditary, even if you push aside the dazzlingly innovative similar cinematography, and it is, he does some shit in that film, which it just, it, it fits in perfectly. Uh, you know, those crashes from night to day, uh, scenes blending into one another, beautiful camera shots. It's ah, that's so fucking edible. You could eat this film, <laughs> but it understands that horror comes in through the cracks, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whether those cracks are grief, or whether those cracks are mental illness, or whether they are you know, depression. It spends a good third of the film painting a portrait of this family on the edge and at, mm. at, at, at risk of at risk of falling apart anyway. So that when the tragedy happens and the grief causes the fucking rift, that's what gives the strange license to sneak in there and burst those cracks wide open. Mm-hmm. that's why Hereditary is such a powerful film because it understands like so many other films or like not not enough films understand that you can't just go in with the weird from fucking square one like the fucking nun or whatever <laughs> you've got to you've got to build a foundation first find where the crack is and then you've got the license to go wherever the fuck you want and Hereditary fucking nails it it is if they were a sixth star <laughs> it would get that from me. I find it to be a perfect film. How was that? <laughs> well, I obviously don't agree with you, but that is a very of course um, you don't. yeah valid point. I mean, I like I I agree with your thesis about this getting in the cracks thing. Absolutely, I think that's yep. absolutely true. Um, yep. Yeah. And it it, well it rewards repeated viewings. It rewards pe- repeated viewings because <laughs> the first time you see it, you get the film at face value. But then the second time, the third time, you, you you notice so much more. All of the fucking clues are there. All the fucking stories, the entire thing is there within the first 15, 20 minutes. If you if you're if you're you, 
You know what I mean? <laughs> you could have pro- you could have probably fucking solved that film within the first twenty minutes, but when you when you go back and you see the fucking breadcrumbs throughout the whole thing, it is just sublime, and I love it. And I'm gonna stop carrying on talking about it because I can see your eyes glazing over. No, I appreciate that you love it. Just like you know th- that you have that passion for it is delightful. I hate it, it yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. That doesn't matter. I enjoy that, like, you have this <laughs> experience with it. It's, it's, my eyes are not yeah. glazed at all. <laughs> okay. Um... Thanks, Corrigan. <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> so, uh, all right, let me, I'm going to talk about a few of the things that I watched, and then we'll get into what we watched together, because we also have, Shoot. because it's been two weeks, we have a bunch of things to get through as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I rewatched Monster Club. Which I just find absolutely <clears throat> delightful. If you've never seen Monster Club, it's from like 1981, I believe. Um, starring Monster Vincent Club, not Monster Price. Squad. Monster Club, not Monster Squad. Monster Club, <clears throat> very different movie. It's a anthology, um, anthology movie in which basically you you come into this movie <laughs> meeting Vincent Price as he sucks the blood from another old man who it turns out is his favorite horror author, and afterwards a sort of a Hey, thanks for the meal. He takes the author to the monster club and sort of shows them how monsters live. And you have this sort of, uh, you have these little anthology segments that he sort of teaches him about different kinds of monsters through these Uh anthology segments. And in between, uh, well, that some of them are like completely made up, which is part of like the fun of it. Um, So it's like, there's a whole segment in which, He's basically explaining, like, here's what happened if you mate this monster with this monster and then mate them with this monster and all this, and you get this, and mm. this is why that's horrible, mm. and you get, like, a nice, segment nice, on nice. that. Um, and they're all, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek. You've got one that has um, Donald Pleasance as a vampire hunter uh, whose endeavor to kill a vampire goes horribly awry. Um, like, all kinds of, like, fun segments, but in between... They're in a club, so you get these, like, basically monster punk bands, <laughs> and the music is, like, really fun and really weird. Uh, there's an entire song about a stripper, uh, <laughs> which ends with, like, an animated stripper pulling off not just her clothes, but her skin and dancing, like, her bones, Aww. and everyone's, like, very turned on by her bones. <laughs> um, it's just, like, it's I'm super weird and fun. A little it's- twitch thinking about it myself yeah. if you don't mind me saying so <laughs> well i mean uh yeah. <laughs> it's really it's Did such it a fun movie you? <laughs> and i highly recommend monster club um it used to be on shutter but now it's like on the free stuff like tubi and whatnot so um mm-hmm. yeah you can get it on that and it's just it's just a really good time uh i rewatched scary stories to tell in the dark which i just enjoy because i think they nailed the like visually they nailed the books oh they did it was um, great yeah, yeah and like great. you know i grew up on those and like thought they were terrifying and so every time one of the like monsters and creatures and things like that comes to life in that movie it's like oh i'm like nine years old again i'm just like this is the yeah. scariest thing i've ever seen in my life um the other so- best example i can think of that happening was uh where the wild things are that maurice sendak book yeah i never actually saw the movie right off the page it's really good it's like really good really i know it got kind of mixed reviews so i just kind of never really got around to it i think is it spike jones or or? yeah i think it's spike jones 
I, I, I dug it in a big way. But the creatures were lifted right off the page. I love that. Because, yeah, I mean, mm. who doesn't have a strong Where the Wild Things Are memory from childhood as well also the other maurice sendak book that i was obsessed with when i was a kid was um the night kitchen did you ever read that one no highly recommend that one as well but you know just like that signature art style and the way those stories are told and everything like oh beautiful but yeah scary stories to tell in the dark was a a fun scary ride (laughs) that i enjoyed um i watched twilight zone the movie uh which also is just fun you know uh it's the twilight zone but a movie What's i that? rather thought that you would eschew that movie knowing what we know about that movie because of john landis well for one you know i have my i get to keep things that uh from before i <laughs> knew that yeah. some someone was awful um yeah and he's only he's one segment out of one that also has uh, several other great directors as well. So, you know, yeah, my enough, attitude towards Twilight Zone is uh, it's a fun movie and also fuck John Landis. <laughs> and it is who always others? wild to me. Who are the others again? Again, Robert Zemeckis again, I want to say. I want to, I th- think you might be right. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of who they are. Mm. Um, oh, gosh. And I totally know who they are, but my brain is just short circuiting. But they're great. <laughs> Um, and, and it's a lot of fun. I especially like the, like, very, um, the one that's basically like a distorted Looney Tunes segment with the kid who can, yeah, you know, sure. <laughs> uh, make these things come to life and everything and has terrified his yep. family into doing everything that he wants. Yep. Love yep. that segment so much. Um, uh, but yeah, it is yeah. wild though that they like kept the John Landis segment in there. And on top of the yes. fact that like, People died making that segment. It's also kind of a rough watch because, like, um, what's-his-face who died, Vic Morrow, plays such, Mm. like, an atrocious character, and he's, like, throwing out N-words and, like, all these racial slurs and stuff like that, and you're just like, fucking Christ. (laughs) Now, if you made that kind of racist character, he'd find something else to say, but, like, he's just, the slurs are flying, and it's... The Yikes. fact that they kept the Landis segment in, do we believe that that was a kind of a calculation on the studio's part that it would cost us more right. to shelve the film than it would to pay off the relatives? I'm sure that must be the case, especially because, like, yeah. the kids who died were, you know, young Vietnamese immigrants and stuff like that. Like, I oh, imagine they probably didn't well, get a ton fine. out of it. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I'm a bet that... Um, you know, that that was the calculation they made. And, of course, nobody was really held responsible for what happened either. They pretty much got off scot-free for it. So, If but. you don't know what happened, by the way, and you didn't hear the episode oh, that we yeah. did on uh, movie sets where terrible fucked up things happened, uh, Corey will put the episode number on our social medias later and on the blog. Or the, yeah, the <laughs> long story short... Uh, John Landis did not listen to uh, safety precautions that were given to him and uh, killed Vic Morrow and two young children, decapitated them on the set of Twilight Zone, the movie, by flying a helicopter too low and uh, causing it to get hit by explosives and crash and kill the actors. (laughs) As a grown-up, 
Uh, and I think if it were done intentionally, that would be the or one of the most metal ways to check out. <laughs> yeah, just a helicopter jump, blade. Jump the... the fuck up into a helicopter blade. Yeah. Ooh. I, I we have talked recently just in a regular conversation out on the podcast, but about my disdain for uh, helicopters. So just mm. no thanks. Um, I also watched the angry black girl and her monster, which I really liked. It's basically um, have you seen it, Mark? I haven't. It's one of maybe two or three that I'm just dying to see, but I'm not quite finding the time. Another one being yep. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Uh, nice. Yeah. All yeah, films that I'm, that I'm super keen on seeing, but I just need to fucking find the right moment. Yeah. I know that feel, but uh, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster um, is like a low-budget indie movie that does a lot with what it has, I think. And it's essentially a Frankenstein retelling of sorts about a girl who grows up um, in sort of a violent housing project. And Mm. her brother at the beginning of the movie, like opening shot or whatever, has been shot and killed um, in an act of gang violence. And uh, she herself is sort of like a budding mad scientist or whatever, but uh, who's treated poorly because she goes to uh, an all white school and they just see her as the ghetto black girl. Um, And she ends up sort of bringing her dead brother back to life to deeply violent consequences, um, which gets her sort of running afoul of the local gang. Um, and it sort of unfolds from there. And I thought it was just nice. super well done, incredibly well acted. The lead girl is amazing. I think the monster is pretty scary. <laughs> um, just this Ooh, sort of. Yeah, good. You're you talking know, my language. Yeah, it's like he's, I mean, it's basically her brother, except sewn together and, you know, this sort of blobby oh, say face less, or say whatever. Less. I'm going to watch that. He's been rotting. Um, and there's some, yeah, there's some gore that had me closing my eyes. <laughs> While watching nice. it uh, I'm as sold. well. So. And you know what? Yeah. I'm I'm also realizing here that I'm saying, yeah, yeah I want to watch this film. I just never had the time. I watched Hereditary for the fifth time last night. <laughs> right, so. yeah. Like, you have time, I have the, you know. I have the time. Yeah, definitely recommend The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. But that was The Angry um, Black Girl and Her Monster, right, okay. Yes, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, not The Angry Black Monster. Mm-hmm. Although the monster is angry and black. Um, and I watched The Puppet Man, which is another Shutter original. Uh, nah, not really. I mean, it was fine. Uh, it's about a girl. Well, basically, it starts with a, a man murdering his wife, seemingly under the control of some other force. Uh, and yeah. over the course of this movie, we're, we're following their the daughter of this couple. The man is on death row, and the daughter is sort of trying to live her life. She's in college now. Um, but yeah. there is some dark force that is causing all of the people around her to kill themselves in extremely violent ways. The gore is quite nice. good. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, good effects and things like that in it. The movie is just like very basic and predictable and, you know, kind of meh. The characters are, you do not care about them at all, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does begin with... <clears throat> It begins with like as a sort of, you know, way of giving some exposition, some like podcasters talking about the murder and all that kind of stuff. And it is Henry Zabrowski and Ben Kissel from last podcast on the left. (laughs) It's like as soon as I heard them, I was like it. 
he made a joke that was very Henry Zabrowski. <coughs> and I was like, wait a minute. And I like rewound and listened to it again. I was like, oh my God, that's Henry and Ben. So that was kind of a fun little Easter I've egg. Never listened to a single episode of uh, L-P-O-T-D. L-P-O-T-L. Yeah. <laughs> P-O-T-L. But they they seem to be getting quite a, a huge kind of mainstream media following, don't they? I mean, which wasn't getting. there some movie recently that had one of their posters <laughs> up on the wall? Oh, yeah, that was in Scream, the most recent Scream movie. Yeah. But no, they're there one of go. the biggest podcasts on Earth, and they have been for like a decade. <laughs> huge. Uh, yeah, one show, of the... I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, they have amongst the most listeners in like all of podcastdom, and they're, yeah, just an enormous mm. force. Um, and I love them. Bigger than this? It's like we're close, just on the cusp. Okay. Uh, but that was The Puppet Man. Um, and then the other thing that I watched on my own was a documentary that has been like suggested by algorithms to me for like literally since it came out in like 2008 or something like that. Uh, and I just like it never grabbed me um, until someone put it on Plex and I was like, well, I think I'm going to watch it. And that was Dear Zachary. It says on Letterboxd, oh, you have watched Dear Zachary. Dear. Yes. Fuck me. Oh. Good God, I was not ready. Did you know anything about it going in? So the premise, obviously, is, you know, that this this guy is killed and the filmmaker is um, making a documentary for his child, Zachary, uh, who was born after his death. Maybe. Is it what? Dan Trachtenberg who did what like the the documentarian the 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 director give me a sec yeah keep going yeah i'm not entirely sure but yeah so um he is making a yeah just a film to okay to tell this kid about who his dad was and his dad Mm. seems like the greatest human being and his parents are amazing and everyone loved all three of them, they have just like... I'd stay away from the... spoiling this one because you have to... Yeah, know. I'm not going to spoil it <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, like basically you're watching the like nicest people on earth have a horrendous tragedy hit them. Yeah. Um, and then it, get, it just spirals. <laughs> um, and it is like amongst like... I watch a lot of devastating documentaries. And this like I... It's dev. It's one of the most devastating things I have ever it's watched. The 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 best way I can describe watching Dear Zachary is it it feels like that moment after you've been punched and you are winded. Yeah, you know, you yeah, don't feel absolutely. the impact of the punch, but the fucking wind leaves your body and you are mm-hmm. suddenly just plunged into just this absolute state of grief and yearning and sorrow yeah. and regret it's in, mm-hmm. it's an incredible fucking piece of work dear zachary i it love really it really is yeah 100 yeah. it's one of those ones that it's like if it weren't so horrible to watch i'd rewatch it because like watching the that way that it was no. unfold yeah no absolutely not but the way it unfolds and the way it is made is unlike any other documentary that i've ever seen um and yes yeah, so like, clever it's yeah, it's a really incredible film. So, like, absolutely, one hundred percent recommend Dear Zachary. Just like only if you're ready to be emotionally yeah. ripped into a thousand yeah. pieces. 
yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, if if you're in the if you're in the state of mind where you want to explore emotion, if yes, you want to right. explore, if you want to explore grief, if you feel as though you want to fucking, if you feel as though you want to touch something different, strange, and unpleasant, that's the, it's the one yeah. for you. And I will say, like, that's exactly it. Like, one of the most incredible things about this documentary is just the interviews with his parents throughout this, watching the sweetest people on earth absolutely transformed by grief um, in this is, like, really, you feel it the entire time, you know? Um, Just a fantastic doc. Recommend. I won't lie, you've slightly bummed me out by talking about Dear Zachary, the fucking... (laughs) Let's talk about some things that we watched together real quick then. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's do Leatherface. 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 Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Yes. Uh, it's my one of my pet franchises. And I believe that to give it its full title, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Uh, I it, Look, it's nowhere fucking near the work of art the first one is. It doesn't even come close to the work of fucking absolute batshit insanity that the second one is <laughs> it's almost new lines attempt to commercialize leatherface i think mm, they've tried yeah. to make a they've, they've they've tried to make a saleable exhibitable watchable uh horror movie and i i i i, I, I whenever i see it i find it better than i remember it and I'd never seen I'd it before. Love it was my first, first I'd love your thoughts as a first timer, yeah. Um, and you know, my thing with Texas is that, like, on, I like the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm not like you, where it's like, this is my favorite thing. It's a perfect film kind of thing. I, just, I yes. enjoy it, though. But I actually yeah. find, like, those, like, crazier and less serious later ones more fun and more like watchable <laughs> to me like something i want to revisit i love the second one um you know i that's the second one so in much and of it, in, in in its way the second one is the equal of the first they just do things right very yeah they're just <laughs> exactly that it's like they are doing a different thing and they're both nailing yeah. what they're doing um and yeah. so yeah I, I like i had a lot of fun with this i feel like this is to me i like the first one and it but like in terms of rewatchability like i have to be ready to be in like like the first texas puts my body on defense you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, yeah, it's so it's visceral to... you know it's like i feel but again it the horror me. gets in through the tra- through the cracks you've got this right. group of kids who are just going on a fun road trip until they pick up that fucking hitchhiker who makes the crack and in it comes you know right yeah exactly um and so that's like i feel like mood wise like i'm not i can't watch the first one every time any time because i'm like it's going to like my body reacts to yeah. watching that where it's like the third yeah. one is like so over the top and you've got like vigo mortensen is your sort of like sexy killer in the family and like you know it, like why sexy does cannibal. why is that a thing uh you yeah, know yeah. and it's it's a you know swift, this cannibal like, needs sex appeal yeah exactly make them a little hot that's gonna be great Mm. um and it was like uh it's like an hour and 18 minutes or whatever you watch the regular cut and not the extended one that you watch that's got a little yeah it was a few minutes i had a few minutes on you yeah yeah yeah. and that's the thing about it too is like you're not like most of the violence happens off screen if you're watching the regular cut uh which speaks to what you're saying is like this is kind of the like safe like sellable 
version of yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. But I think I think it was fun. <laughs> I had a really fun time. Oh, with it, it was. I it would was rewatch that for sure. The uh, just in case anyone cares, the stuff that was restored was largely to do with the little girl of the family. Uh, there are some moments where the child of the family, you know, stuffs a fucking sharp tooth in someone's leg. She pulls the lever, which swings the sledgehammer at the guy's head. Uh, okay. She collects his blood in a, in, a, in a little tin can. All of that stuff was gone. Yeah. specifically from the little girl it was that mm-hmm. it was that angle of of that movie which the senses over here because keep in mind the senses over here were still super edgy about the word chainsaw right um, yeah <laughs> so it but pres- was, i mean this you know, is it, the cut though like this is what i have yeah, and i'm not yeah. over there so i think you know that didn't make it here either but over here, you could not find, you could not get that film yeah. until you know maybe fifteen, twenty years ago. It simply it was on, it was on the list, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I happen to love I, it. I you got Ken really Forey for fuck's sake, Ken yeah, Forey right? drama stalwart. Always good time when he shows up. Yes, yeah. um, it's a, it's it's by no means the best Texas, but holy shit, <laughs> it's better than whatever came after it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the Although sword. then the other reboot that was called Leatherface, we we both enjoyed that quite a bit. Now, which one was that? Uh, it uh, it was the one. That's not do your I'm thing, because to... it's not that one, is it? No, it's not that one. It was. I'm trying to think of like it was. I think maybe Jordana Brewster was in it. I'm trying to remember, but uh, I just remember that the other Leatherface we also enjoyed. So. There's some, yeah. I think there's a good uh, table saw kill in that one. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good. Anyways, we watched that again. Uh, a, another one of my pet franchises, which I love. Yes, uh, we watched Dark Harvest. And... Oh, did you have a? Did we watch Dark Harvest? Yeah, we did. Ooh, I don't even think I fucking rated. I I, I put that down. Oh my did gosh, I? who even are you? All of How? a sudden, I'm slipping. <laughs> the guy who yeah, can't did, help yeah, but report did, yeah, his ratings part way through okay yes, there we go I did. dark harvest you want to um, describe that one yep love to so we are in correct me if i'm wrong 1950s america yeah it's either late yeah, 50s, 50s early 50s, 60s 50s or 60s yeah somewhere in that vicinity uh you got your greasers you got your punks you got your fucking leather jacket fucking gang crew hey hey let's smoke a cigarette yo that kind of those kind of guys um <laughs> But they live in a very small rural town with secrets. Mm. A small rural town with dark secrets. The secret being that every Halloween, a gribbly rises called fucking Sharp Tooth Pumpkin Dave or whatever his name is. What's his name? Yeah, that sounds right. Sharp Tooth Pumpkin yeah. Dave. And the kids, all, uh, the kids all have an event called The Run, whereby their parents lock themselves indoors the kids chase down and beat down this gribbly and they kick him to fuck. Uh, he bleeds candy bars like a pinata, so they eat the candy from him. And the person who kills sharp, pointy-toothed, pumpkin-headed Jack is the winner of the run for that year. And they're awarded a $25,000 check and a brand new car and a home. And yet they're never heard from again. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting, isn't it? So what we've got here is a really fun 
really kind of kinetic. It fucking motors along. You know what I mean? It's a film that just keeps on fucking going. Uh, we have, all right, look, CG gore, but some of the best CG gore I've seen in a while. Yeah, um, it's not. It's heads. You know, I don't hold it against it. <laughs> nah, certainly not. Heads are torn asunder. Limbs yep. fly off. You know, they're uh, shotgun wounds to the face. It's 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 a it's got the juice. It's got the meat yes. and the juice. Um, it's got a lovely twist in the tail. It's got a sting in the end. Um, and I have no problems with it. It is a solid, solid three star film, which delivers for a nice Halloween scare, you know? Yeah, definitely feels very seasonal. It's a good one for, for right yes. now. So yeah, recommend Dark Harvest. I think you can rent it right now. I don't think it's streaming for free anywhere, but you can rent it. Great little Halloween pick, you know, yes. add to your repertoire. Yes, very much so. Uh, we watched Unwelcome. Uh, uh, which, unwelcome. Yes, Unwelcome, which I had a great time with. And I feel like you kind of did too. But we had different hey. reactions to uh, some perhaps unforgivable cinemasins. I had a great time with it up to a certain and very specific point. Right. <laughs> so let's sketch out the tale of Unwelcome. Uh, we start with a uh, inner London couple who rent a flat in a dodgy part of town. Um, the, the, the wife of the partnership is newly pregnant and their home is invaded by fucking criminal wankers who smash the place up and, and, and leave them deeply, deeply traumatised uh, by the event, as you'd imagine. The couple haul ass to Scotland. No, Scotland, I'm a liar. They haul ass no, to Ireland, Ireland where they've yes. been where they've been bequeathed a property. And from then on things continue. Uh the previous owner of the property, which is like their aunt or something, I believe. Yeah, insists insists he yeah, you have to leave a blood sacrifice. No, that's Scottish again. You've yeah, got to leave a blood sacrifice at the gate. Of the little people, or the little people will get hungry and they'll come out and they'll get you, blah, 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 blah right? All good. Yes. Lots going on. Nice and violent. Nice and bloody. You don't see many of these little fucking goblins when they arrive, but the goblins that you do see, they're a fucking great bunch of lads. Proper funny yeah. crew, right? <laughs> they um, are. Cast-wise... And you know this is a sign of quality when Chief O'Brien himself, Colmini, shows up. Indeed, yes. Right? Instantly adding half a star just by having, you know, transported Chief O'Brien on screen. I fucking love to see him. He looks well as well. It's good to see him looking healthy. He does, healthy. yeah, absolutely. Next Generation was a long time ago, but whatever <laughs> Colmini is doing, he's doing it well because he looks a fucking million bucks, right? Um, yes. They forget the blood sacrifice... Out come the Gribblies, chaos ensues, right? Right. There's my precy. Now, yeah. Cory. <laughs> Where did it go wrong? Well, see, I'm wondering, like, is it what I pointed out or is there something else before that that was where it went wrong? It's what you pointed out that I just can't see. Get and over. now, yeah, I have regrets the... about pointing it out because you didn't notice it first and then I did. I didn't spoil it there's, <laughs> there's a, like very weird obvious continuity error and i part of me wonders if we missed something because i'm like it's so weird that it it's feels huge. impossible it's huge and i feel like every review should mention it um 
but then again, you missed it, so I don't know. It. Oh, did they? Okay, I wasn't the only one yeah, then, because yeah, I did yeah. not see it in yeah. any letterbox reviews. I feel like it's okay for me to say this, because it's not a spoiler per se. There is a fire. It's, yeah, it's in this it's a movie. Spoilerish. So if you okay. if you want to like, watch, I don't want to know unwelcome. a single thing. If you want to watch Unwelcome, and it is... Look, it's a watchable film if you can get past yeah. what we're about to tell you to get past. It's, yeah, it's what Corey will do moment. is she'll put this timestamp on the blog and it'll be great. Go on. Right, yeah. It's one moment, and again, it's not like really a spoiler the way I'm going to phrase it anyway, but if you don't want to know anything, give me 35 seconds and I'll, I'll timestamp it. But anyway, there is a fire that occurs in this film, uh, and later, uh, towards the end of the film... The place that was on fire is undamaged and the fire is out. And there is never a point at which it is addressed. They just don't explain it. And it, it, it isn't just like a little kind of uh, a little no. blaze that you can squirt out with a fire extinguisher. It's like no. the whole bottom fucking floor of this home is ablaze. Right. And then 30 seconds later in the next scene, it's just gone. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's not 30 seconds later, because then you could be like, OK, it went out somehow. The issue is that it's like 20 minutes later that it's out, yeah. at which point this place should be to the ground. Yeah, but there's, there's, it is I didn't fine. see any scorch damage. I didn't right, see yeah. any. It's like know, they just straight forgot. They just, which is very weird. Whether it's a cutting um, thing, whether it's a cutting incident, whether it's, I don't know what right, it was. Like but something ended up on the cutting room floor, whatever. It is simply not explained. Yeah, and it, it's bizarre. I will give it to you. It just simply didn't like tank the entire movie. <laughs> I like text it because it was almost over. And you were literally, you said something like positive about the movie. And I just went, what happened to the fire? And then you yeah, responded with it. like a ha 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 ha, and that was it. Yeah, I had that, and that was it. I Movie just ruined gone. the film for you. Um, so Which I would say watch to... it, and it's actually a lot of fun. Just yeah. know that makes absolutely no sense. If that's a deal breaker for you, don't watch the movie because you're going to be so mad. <laughs> it took what would have been a three and a half star movie down to one and a half because. Look, this is this. What was it? Universal or MGM? It was a big fucking. It was a studio picture. It had studio money. Might have been Lionsgate. No, I don't think so. I think it was. I think it was. I think it was a, a player. I think it was a big player. I think it was okay. Fox. Oh. Okay. Um. To get to release with a fucking <laughs> howler of a continuity error like that, I cannot forgive that. I, I'm afraid I simply cannot forgive that. So as good as your film is, if you fuck up that badly, get yourself <laughs> down to one and a half stars, mate, because I'm not having it. Fair enough. So those are your two takes. One of us is willing to overlook that because I had fun. Uh, the other, that's an unforgivable sin. So know yourself and how you're going to react that's the to message, this isn't it? blatant it's continuity the error in here. Yeah. And the other thing we watched together, the final thing, was Malum, uh, which I quite enjoyed. Oh, yeah. I can't remember if you liked it or not. I can't remember seeing it. I fell asleep. You didn't fall asleep. You were awake for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Malum was, yeah, because we, we both liked it because then I said, okay, so this movie was apparently based, it's like a remake of the filmmaker's earlier film. Um, but yeah. for this, he got more money. And so he was able to make like a higher budget version of a movie that he had made earlier, which 
if you read the reviews, is mostly what people are salty oh, wait. about. They gave it's it really the woman low in the ratings. old deserted yes. police office. Uh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I do remember so, it. Film, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, so we had a really good time with it. And then we're like, why are these reviews so low? It's like, oh, everyone's mm. mad that there was. it's a remake of this other movie. <clears throat> Basically, this woman whose father was a cop uh, takes a a job on the police force and her first night she is guarding the old police station uh that they've closed down and they've now got like a new one but they have to you know they've given her like a tight. rookie fucking job just to fucking keep right. her busy and uh well she she requests it as she says a couple times mm-hmm. in there because she wanted to be in the place where her father had died in a crazy incident where he killed himself and uh several other people Meanwhile, while this is happening, there's like some sort of culty activity happening throughout the town. Um, and she is left to her own devices as now these culty people are trying to uh, access the police station that she's in. Um, and it's a very, I mean, it's one of those movies where it's like you're never entirely sure what's real and what's not. Is she imagining mm. the things that are happening to her? Um, you know, you've got this murderous cult vibe um you've got um I don't, an a cab <laughs> vibe for sure oh yeah uh, and i just yeah, yeah. yeah it's basically like kind of a, in a sense sort of a siege movie you know you've got a woman in one location where shit just keeps coming at her um and she's trying to fight it but it's um yeah i really enjoyed malum that was a good time yeah, I, I I seem to remember enjoying it at the time, but I really don't have any lasting memory. Blanked of it. it now at this point. I recommend yeah, it. M A L U M, Malum. So this can week, can I just oh, go ahead. can I just resurrect a little rabbit hole that we went down earlier on, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Does a cab include <laughs> Robocop? <laughs> this is. I almost like. I want to just throw this to the audience almost because we yeah, have talked yeah. at length between the two of us of does a cab include robocop and i just instead I of rehashing that i think we should yeah, let the audience we'll put decide. it over to you guys yes my yeah. stance for what it's worth is that when murphy got shot in the head and to all intents and purposes killed that absolves him of a cab after which he's made into a cyborg and forced to cop against his will so I think, I think I let him off the hook. Whereas, I say a cab includes RoboCop because he was fully knowing a cop up until his death. So yes, he is forced to be one. However, who's to say he wouldn't have chosen it? He never denounced it. So a cab includes RoboCop. Hmm. Does let death not absolve you of it? Does is it is a cab even in death then? Yeah, death doesn't absolve you. We've been through this on on other s- topics. Why would death absolve yeah. you? <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, let us know your thoughts. Does a cab include RoboCop? Love to see that discussion happen, and maybe I'll yeah post it on the Facebook or whatever to uh, dokie remind people. But for this week to close out, uh, it's spooky season. Halloween is upon us. Hopefully you're listening to this in preparation for the holiday. You are ready. Perhaps you're costumed. Got some cocoa. You got your candy out. You're ready to give some candy to kids or go to a Halloween party. Every age. Would you like to see something strange? 
come with us. I can continue. We'll see. This is our town this of Halloween. This is our town of Halloween. <laughs> Hope COVID is giving me a really nice new deep register yeah. to my voice that I'm exploiting. Mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, more, more of this. But so what we decided to do this week uh, is to gather you around our little podcast yes. campfire yes. and tell you some spooky stories to get you into the yes. mood for Halloween. Yes. So we have each prepared a campfire tale to tell you this uh-huh. fine day. Uh-huh. Uh, and we're uh-huh. going to, we just we just want you to gather in close, you know, get a blanket, get your Udi, your Snuggie, yeah. whatever it is that yeah. you like to wear to keep keep warm, um, even though Roast it's supposed to be like 80s s'more. here. Roast a s'more. Yes, absolutely. Settle in as we tell yeah. you to close out just a couple spooky Halloween stories. Maybe pop a little tin. Hey. Sure. Hey, a cider. A cider outdoors. is great for the season. We're outdoors. We've got the mm-hmm. campfire going. Maybe smoke a little doob. Huh? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Well, I've seen a, a lot of horror movies, so, you know. Yeah. Well, Anyways, would you like to start or shall I? I would be happy to begin Friends, friends, friends. What know ye of the Dibbuk? Well, let me tell you something. The Dibbuk, it's a concept uh, from uh, folklore of Judaism and mythology. Uh, It's particularly to do with the uh, Ashkenazi Jewish culture. Now, the Dibbuk is a malevolent, possessing spirit or demon that is said to be able to take over the form of a living person. Okay? The word dibuk, the term, uh, comes from a uh, Yiddish word meaning to cling or adhere. It represents a malicious, a disembodied soul that clings to a living individual, often with the intent of causing harm or controlling their actions. Now, according to the folklore, a Dibbuk can possess a person for many, many, many different reasons. Maybe they're seeking revenge. Maybe they wish to uh, complete unfinished business in life. Maybe they have unresolved suffering. There have been exorcism rituals performed to remove the Dibbuk from the possessed individual. Uh, conducted generally by a rabbi or another you know, qualified spiritual healer. So with that context, please picture this. The year is 2003. And a strange listing on eBay captures the imagination of many who happen across it. There is a man named Kevin Manis who has listed an arcane item on his eBay for sale known as the Dibbuk Box. Manis claimed to purchase the box at an estate sale of a recently deceased 103-year-old Polish Holocaust survivor. Uh, the lady's granddaughter stated that she and her siblings were always told never, ever open the box. Of course, what does Manis do the second he gets it the fuck home? 
cracks that fucker open, opens the box straight away. What does he find inside? A series of strange items. Uh, a 1928 US penny. A 1925 US penny. One small lock of golden hair. One small lock of black or brownish hair. He finds a granite statue engraved and gilded with the Hebrew word Shalom. He finds one dried out rosebud. He finds one golden goblet and a very strange black candlestick holder with the legs of an octopus. And immediately after opening the box, weird shit began to go down. Light bulbs <coughs> would spontaneously burst inside his home. Whenever he would approach the box, the box would give off an overpowering, over-fucking-whelming scent of jasmine, which would vanish when he took a single step backwards. Now, he gifted the box to his mother. He wanted fuck all to do with it. So he put all the items back in, gifted it to his mother and very soon afterwards his mother suffered a stroke leaving her unable to speak leaving her largely immobile but she was able to write a note and taking a pen and in her thin scrawling script she wrote the two words hate gift uh, the unusual events in his own life continue he soon lost the lease on his store he became the victim of a case of identity theft all of this continued leading him to relist that fucking box for sale on ebay the box was purchased in turn by a student a guy by the name of Josef Nitzke after some time Nitzke was Quoted as saying, we've definitely seen a tidal wave of bad luck, he said, when he in turn relisted the box on eBay. My hair began to fall out. I'm in my early 20s. I got a clean blood test from my doctors. And yet, as soon as I got that box, I went completely bald. Nitsuke relisted the item with a full description of the uneasiness and the unhealthiness it had caused him. He listed it for just one single dollar. And halfway through the listing, it had climbed to 50 and it ended up going for $280 by the time it finally sold to a university curator by the name of one Jason Haxman. Now, Haxman, who acquired the book from Nietzsche, he immediately also started reporting various unsettling symptoms and disturbances. Um, with the help of a good friend of his, Rebecca Edery, who was an Orthodox Jewish bookkeeper, they found features on the box that resembled the design of a receptacle for Torah scrolls. Edery believed the box had a sacred purpose and suggested a formal Jewish burial with a prayer group to end its misfortune. Now, in the months that followed the discovery of the wooden box, a lot of attention, a lot of significant uh, attention and interest began to surround it. There was an East Coast Jewish newspaper called The Forward, 
who ran a story about the box's sale and its rumoured supernatural qualities. As a result, the eBay auction page for the box received over 140,000 visits. It's still there now to this day, should you wish to check it out. Numerous individuals, authors, uh, documentarians, a screenwriting crew, all sought to closely examine the box. Uh, but Hoxton, who's a, a 46-year-old resident of Missouri who owns the box, he was contacted by rabbis, Orthodox Jews, Hebrew scholars, offering to help unravel the box's mysteries. All of that increased attention led Hoxton to take steps like, ah, he went ex-directory, removed his phone number, changed his email address, created a little website, uh, the dibookbox.com. It's there. Check it out. To manage those inquiries, he, uh, he found that the box had started to be referred to as an urban legend. People from various online communities, you know, the cranks, uh, they, unrelated to the paranormal, they began discussing the box. The legend of the Dibbox box began to grow and grow. And eventually, a group of ghost hunters in Long Island created a Yahoo, a Yahoo chat group specifically devoted to this box. Now, some individuals who even visited Haxman's website claimed to experience unusual symptoms, headaches, nightmares, other unusual occurrences. A lot of them led to, you know, some bizarre requests. They want him to remove all images of the box from the Internet to prevent the spirit from accessing their computers. Now, why such fascination with that box? There are a lot of things in play here in the early noughties, right? Uh, the, the, the kind of the rise of blogging culture, uh, the growing interest in Jewish mysticism, uh, the Kabbalah, uh, the, the availability of high-speed internet connections, uh, you know, the, the, those allowing easy access to the photos. But that concept of Dibbuk's spirits that attach to living people, it's existed in Yiddish folktales since the 16th century, Many experts refrain from ruling it out entirely as there are so many other religious traditions including accounts of similar phenomena. A lot of people don't know what it is but the fact is that box was passed from person to person and there can be so many different variables, so many different explanations. But anyone who's come into contact with that box has had bad luck or misfortune fall their way. Um, there have been movies based on this box. For example, The Possession from 2012. Um, that's a horror movie loosely based on the story of the Dibbuk box. Um, uh, the, the Haunted from 2012. A novel that draws inspiration from the, the legend of the Dibbuk box. Uh, then you've got non-fiction, lots of documentaries have been made about it. The Dibbuk's Box, True Story of Chris Chambers, 2011. The Dibbuk Box by Jason Haxon, 2011. So many people have written and studied this box and no one has an idea of whether it's the host of a demon or not. <laughs> How you feeling, crew? Pour another s'more on the fire. Maybe tighten up the zip on your jacket a little. <gasps> Shit, what was that? Maybe it was a fox.
Maybe it was a possum. It could have been anything, or maybe, maybe it was the Dibbuk looking for its next victim. Corey, save us from this. I'm passing it over to you. Elmer McCurdy was what you'd call a career criminal. The kind of no-good Nick who made himself a constant headache to law enforcement, robbing banks and trains with the help of good old nitroglycerin. Of course, Elmer wasn't exactly a scientist, and he really enjoyed blowing things up. So, the gleeful baddie would often pack a little too much of the stuff and accidentally blow up his loot. But hey, he was in it for the love of the game. In September of 1911, Elmer and his crew attempted to rob the Citizens Bank in Chautauqua, Kansas. But this time, while the Nitro blew the bank vault open, it failed to penetrate the safe inside. The men were only able to snatch $150 in coins before fleeing the scene. Elmer took off to a friend's property in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, where he proceeded to hang out and get drunk for the next few weeks. But Elmer, that notorious pain in the neck, was at the top of Oklahoma's wanted list, and eventually, using scent dogs, the cops tracked him down to the barn in which he'd been hiding with his coins and his booze. Seeing the writing on the wall, he took one last swig of stolen whiskey and drew his gun, engaging law enforcement in an hour-long shootout before they finally realized he wasn't shooting back anymore. When they went inside, they found him with a bullet through the chest, his criminal reign finally at an end. But Elmer's story was far from over. Elmer's corpse was embalmed, and he was declared dead on October 7th, 1911. And considering he was a pretty famous criminal, they figured it wouldn't be long before friends or family would come to claim his corpse. But no one did. His body, which had been treated with a powerful arsenic-based preservative, sat in the Pahuska morgue for years. And I do mean sat. They simply set the corpse up in the parlor, in case anyone came to claim him. And when they didn't, his body became an attraction in and of itself. If you were brave enough, not only could you freely walk in and see the body, you were more than welcome to touch it. And people came from far and wide to do just that. Carnival sideshows featuring mummies were everywhere in those days. And many a worker from such shows would offer to buy the corpse off the undertaker for use in their traveling acts. But he wasn't some unknown corpse they could just toss off to the highest bidder. Theoretically, someone could claim him any day. So he just sat in the parlor, poked and gawked at by macabre thrill seekers. Sure enough, five years later in 1916, Two men finally came a-knocking, claiming to be Elmer's brothers from California, and insisting that it was their poor dear parents' last wish to be reunited with their precious wayward boy. And so, at long last, the corpse of Elmer McCurdy left Pahuska, but not for a joyful family reunion. No, the two men had no relation to the now tanned and leathery corpse they had claimed from the mortuary. 
They, like so many before, simply wanted to profit off the stunningly well-preserved former, former criminal. And for the next decade, at least, Elmer toured the country in various carnivals and exhibitions. He could be seen for a few cents in sideshows. He was displayed in an ornate coffin in Los Angeles. His body was covered in wax, put in a different coffin, and displayed in a show of wax dummy villains. But by the mid-1940s, people weren't so into the freak shows anymore. And perhaps in part due to the trauma of World War II, folks weren't clamoring to go see dead bodies on display either. Thus, the corpse of Elmer McCurdy was put into storage in an L.A. warehouse, seemingly having seen the end of his post-mortem career. But that was still not to be. Hmm. In 1967, Elmer's body was hauled out of storage and used in a montage during the exploitation film She Freak. He was then sold to the founder of the Hollywood Wax Museum, who may not have realized that the waxwork was an actual human corpse. Thus, they put him on display with their other wax people and then moved him to another wax museum, which went bust in the 70s, forcing them to sell off all their waxy boys. At this point, it's highly unlikely that any potential buyer would have any idea that the collection contained the body of an early 20th century crook. And as such, he was scooped up by the Pike in Long Beach, California, a quaint little old-fashioned boardwalk not too far from L.A. They covered the body in -in glow-in-the-dark paint and hung it inside the -the Laugh-in-the-Dark Funhouse, where countless unknowing guests would have brushed up against his swinging corpse. It wasn't until December of 1976 that the grim truth was revealed, as the crew of the TV show The Six Million Dollar Man set up to film at the Pike. One of the techs bumped the dummy roughly, causing its arm to drop to the floor. He quickly went to get some glue to reattach it, but it was then that he saw what was hidden under all the layers of wax and paint. It was a real human arm, and he'd just become the final person to desecrate the corpse of Elmer McCurdy. If you're not pissing cold ice right now, I don't know what to tell you because I'm shat right up from Dibbuk's possessing and clinging on to the living through desecrated corpses hanging in fucking funfair rites. This is Halloween and Cory. This week more than ever. What do we need to do? <laughs> <laughs>